This is like a repair pathway, not a maintenance pathway. If you eat reasonable food, you go get reasonable sun, you're going to make all those other molecules in the other pathways that are the maintenance pathways that keep you from needing the repair pathway. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw and welcome back to the Vibe show. Sorry, I've been on a little bit of a vacation, but today I'm going to take on a really big subject. And I have here with me, Jim Stevenson. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So the big subject that we're going to talk about, and you guys really want to stay on till the end with this because it's really thorny and it's really important, is vitamin D. And we're going to talk about how it's not a vitamin at all. We're going to talk about the testing they do for vitamin D. We're going to talk about the ranges they set for what a healthy amount of vitamin D is that may be wildly inaccurate. We're going to talk about how they're not even testing what you think they are, the usable form of vitamin D. We're going to talk about the fact that, and this is a lot of the value of this. You may think, well, neither one of you are PhDs or MDs, so you shouldn't be talking about this. Well, actually, that's why we should be, because there are literally hundreds of thousands of healthcare practitioners who are making money on both the testing and the pills they sell you. And we are going to talk about that because if we don't, your healthcare practitioner isn't likely to. I've actually been trying for two years to talk to my healthcare practitioner about this. And my sense is, even though she's the best one in Utah, and I've been to a bunch of them, and I've done a ton of research about this subject, I've known some about it, but I've been way down the rabbit hole. I've been, I've been following Jim Stevenson's work here. I don't think she wants to know. Because if you start telling people that they're low in vitamin D and you get them on your private labeled supplements, you might be literally making thousands of dollars a month, enough that it makes a difference and you don't want to know. And so for all those of you who are, are out there taking these pills, you need to know what they are and you need to know why hundreds of thousands of healthcare practitioners tell you to take these pills when it's very destructive to your health. So anyway, Jim, how'd you get down the rabbit hole on vitamin D, quote unquote? Let's see. It started about 20 years ago when there was a vitamin D test given to a family member that came back in the low 20s. And of course, they got labeled deficient and they immediately, any label that person had was all of a sudden the fault of that vitamin D level. Even if vitamin D doesn't play a role in that, we see that it gets blamed for stuff via associations with the inactive storage molecule. So took the vitamin D prescription and the vitamin D level dropped. And that was when I said, wait, this doesn't make any sense to me at all. I don't know anything about it. And I started researching it and I still am researching it to this day and I'm still learning new stuff every day. It's not even a vitamin at all, right? Right. That's what it really is. It's a sacosteroid hormone. And the the heart of it is made at the heart of steroidogenesis, right in the same area where you make pregnenolone, which is, and unfortunately we found the pathway that everybody's focused on is the one we found in the late 60s, early 70s, when we had found the vitamin in the 30s. Then we finally found 25D, what they test, and 125D in the late 60s and 70s. And it wouldn't be probably another decade till we found the, the molecules that are really at the heart of stereogenesis in another pathway. But we labeled it the alternative pathway because of the order we found it in. And to this day, I hardly talk to anyone that's ever heard of that other pathway. So you, you mentioned 25D and you mentioned 125D and... I, I try to keep things really simple for those who don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but they want to understand it on a high level. And they want to be able to dictate the terms of their own testing and healthcare because we've just gotten more and more and more and more tests and more and more supplements. And I'm not seeing people get healthier. And this is, I think, very key to one of the reasons why 
25D is what they test us for. And 125D is what they don't test us for. And that's the actual active form that we need, right? Correct. That's the active form that everybody's chasing for their immune response. Or if they're focused on calcium and wanting to increase calcium, that is the molecule that controls and does that. And there's a lot of molecules that qualify as this secosteroid hormone. It's not just one molecule, but the pills that are being prescribed to everybody are one molecule. And it's the storage form. This 25D is the storage form of D. Correct. So the, the D th- D3 is what a lot of pills are. D3 is what you make when you go in the sun. It's what you would call the the animal form versus D2, which should be what comes from mushrooms and stuff. The prescription, the only high dose prescription that's ever been made is D2 though. So when you're getting a prescription dose of 50,000 IU that you're taking once a week, that'll be D2, not D3. You won't find any D3 pills that large, actually. You'd have to take multiples of them. But when they write a prescription, you're going to get D2. Why is D2 a controlled substance and D3, which is usually combined with K2, is the you know sort of natural, considered to be natural substance that anybody can buy? You know, I can't really point exactly to why that is. It's going to have to do with regulations and laws and maybe even NIST standards for certain molecules. We're the ones that does D2. Other countries aren't allowed to do D2. So it just depends on what you have going on in your fortification and your prescription world. And I'm sure it's regulated by country. Well, let's touch on the fortification because I think when I was a kid or at least a young adult, they were telling us, you'll get your vitamin D because we're fortifying milk. Well, first of all, some of us don't want to drink the secretions of another animal, especially when we learn more about it. Like I don't, I don't drink dairy milk, never did. And now I really pretty religiously try to avoid dairy products. So I don't want to get D, whatever D is, from cow's milk. But weren't they kind of relying on that for a long time? And was that a big fraud? I think what they were trying to do initially was get people past. There was a lot of rickets in the 30s. Even 80% of Chicago, the kids in Chicago, had rickets. And what they started out with was irradiating the cows, their feed, and the milk rather than directly giving them or adding directly D3. So it got created by the light to begin with. And all of the rickets was gone by the time they literally started adding a form of vitamin D to things. But you're right. you A lot of people don't want to do that. Um, and you're not really going to get that much from there anyway. You're only supposed to get maybe 10% of your vitamin D annually from food. It's not, there's not a whole lot there. It's not a very efficient way. It's, you know, the sunlight is where you get the lion's share, 90 plus percent of your vitamin D for the whole year. Interesting that you say that there was this large cohort of people who were deficient in D in Chicago. And finally, when they bring the solution, the rickets problem has had mostly been solved that very much Reminds me of the mythology that people believe that a vaccine eradicated smallpox and polio, even though both of those were on the bell curve. They were all the way down here when Mm -hmm. they bring us the solution. And then they tell us throughout the rest of history that the vaccine got rid of the disease. And that makes people willing to take more vaccines because, hey, we would be we, we would have a nation full of smallpox and polio if it weren't for the these injections and actually that's not even whatsoever true so i've heard this story before right i've heard those two those exact stories yeah and and you guys don't take my word for it you can go read big fat books with hundreds of references in them about this it's shocking the first time you hear it of course so i have been like put up as this model vitamin D person from going to um, a clinic in Switzerland. I took people there for nine years in a row and they would take my D levels and they would print it off and they would tape. One time they taped it on the wall and told everyone, this is what optimal vitamin D levels look like. And so the other people who I had brought with me 
to Switzerland would say, well, what, what are you taking? That's like, that's always the question. What are you taking? And I was like, nothing, nothing. I don't, I don't take vitamin D. I didn't, didn't trust it. Then I knew it wasn't a vitamin. It didn't make sense to me how it could be in a pill. Didn't know anything like what, you know, um, just didn't trust it. And so I would get tested and I still do every year. I get tested for just everything for, for getting on bioidentical hormones. And now I'm starting to wonder about those too. Um, but I, I, I've always gotten tested in March because I want to see what happens after an entire winter where I was in Utah most of that time, you know, not getting sun exposure. And every year in March, they would tell me that my D levels look fantastic. Does that mean absolutely nothing because they were just testing for 25 D? No, actually that means something that you came out of the winter because you weren't making vitamin D prior to March. I'm guessing you were still in Utah, right? Yeah. So you, that's what you had. It will it will go down a little bit in the winter in most people. Something in the 40s can drop into the 20s, say. So what you're coming out of winter with is kind of your low seasonal variation, low point. It's kind of good to know. And the fact that you can wax and wane shows that you're not what I call dysregulated in the first place. People that are in trouble with vitamin D really struggle to increase their 25D. People who are dysregulated, which I think you're going to tell me is a very small fraction of people who have some kind of biological propensity to be dysregulated with D, they they struggle to have enough 25D? Yeah, what happens is, and this is these are really the sick people, um, it's a lot like iron anemia of chronic illness. So when when you have certain pathogens in your body, they know how to take advantage of the vitamin D receptor. That's why they're still around. They'll make an antigen, Epstein-Barr, for example. Three main antigens that it makes are the right shape to occupy the vitamin D receptor. But their presence in your body, Epstein-Barr, having a flare of Epstein-Barr will cause your body to activate a lot of 125D, 25D to the 125D status. But its receptor is taken. And pretty soon the body comes to realize that because it's not as stupid as they want people to think. And it will downregulate its number of receptors, which sets the sensitivity to vitamin D. And that will, in essence, lower their 25D in serum. It's a marker for illness. It's not the cause. That's why you see low 25D in so many sick people because their body's sequestering that molecule to protect them. As I've been listening to other interviews you did, I've been sort of seeking a clue for, okay, so he says that basically your 25D number isn't particularly relevant. Then I was listening for, well, I'm if I'm in the 50s, on D, like, is that a bad thing? And um, I don't like to obsess about numbers um, and lab results. I think that they interplay with other lab results and they don't, they d- don't really give us an accurate picture. And it's a snapshot in time, one time on one day that you test, and it could vary widely just by different times of day. So, but I think I, I heard you say, and, and maybe you could answer this question, not just for me uh, being in the 50s, which they say is in the optimal D zone, but also for people who might be low in D, does it really have much to do with anything? You're saying that a lot of times sick people will have very low 25D numbers because of comorbidities, right? Correct. Yes, their body is sequestering that molecule so they don't have runaway 125D, which can lead to hypercalcemia. And it will also dysregulate other systems that have molecules that use nuclear receptors, just like the vitamin D system. You can have that excess active vitamin D steal other receptors like your thyroid or your glucocorticoid or your adrenal because it's not tightly regulated anymore. It may be more attracted to another system, but that's normally not an issue with tight regulation. The minute that's gone, most people will lose their thyroid to the excess 125D. Hmm. All right. So correct me about anything I'm about to say that's wrong, but it's the the 125D that's your actual active form of D that your body's drawing on and needs. And yet we don't test for it, but also almost nobody's low in it. Is that right? That is correct. I have asked 
everyone to try to find me a paper where they've actually measured that as part of the deficiency. It would be, uh, it would make sense to measure 25DN, 125D, because in order to be a, a deficiency, you, you need to be deficient in what it becomes. It's much like bread becoming flour. Uh, if you're not, if nobody's making any flour out of it, what's the point in having bread? And that would be why you want to know if you're able to make the active form. Say you have chronic kidney disease, you may not be able to make enough of it. You might have hypoparathyroidism, which is commonly uh, associated with low 125D, whereas hyper parathyroid is with high 125D. So I don't think everybody that's healthy should run out and want a 125D test. But if they're already mired in this vitamin D deficiency world and they want to know where they really stand, it would be beneficial to them. Um, A lot of people might just take a 25D test and it might be in the 50s and they're a healthy person they're probably fine. They probably don't even need to think about vitamin D anymore. Just keep doing what they're doing, you know? Yeah. So I don't feel any need to go out and get a 125D test since I'm year after year after year in the fifties, but a lot of people are in the tens or the twenties and they're losing sleep at night because their 25D test is low. Do you think there's any value to them going out and getting a 125D test, especially knowing that the lab needs to freeze their blood, as I understand it, after drawing it, then they're having to ship it frozen to the other end. And then they have to thaw it and test it within a short window, which to me is like multiple people who have to not screw it up. So I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to go get my 125D tested. I'm just not worried about it. But who should be worried about it? Who should go out and get a 125D test? Those people that have teen levels, they have a 14 or 15, and not just because they have a 14 or 15, because they were trying to raise that 14 and 15 and it was unresponsive. And there'll be a certain number of people that started taking vitamin D and it got lower, actually. Those people especially want to test the active form. Um, after I after they do took a little... the pills. Pardon and me? After they, after they took the pills, that's when right. their if D they've goes been down. Trying, trying to increase their vitamin D and it's not working, that's kind of a warning sign that the body doesn't want it. You know, whereas some other people can just take a little bit or maybe they'll eat something that has quite a bit in it. Maybe uh, they went on a trip and they ate a lot of salmon or whatever, and they can see that in their 25D number. The people who have really an unresponsive level are the ones whose body just pretty much doesn't want it. And there's a reason it doesn't want it. But I wanted to give a disclaimer on the 125D test real quick. So the freezing of the sample, that was all originally in the work of Trevor Marshall. And I've been unable to confirm that with any of the labs here as of lately. And that doesn't destroy any theories I have or anything like that. All it would mean is if that's true, that needs to be frozen. Everyone who I have a lab for that wasn't is actually higher, but I'm still not running into people that are low in 125D. I've recently gathered about 250 people's labs, and I have both labs for all of those people, and there are two people that are low in it out of 250. The vast majority are low in 25D. No one low in 125D. I haven't counted yet, but tons of them high in 125D. But those two people that are low, one of them is at point something. That's going to be a complete defect in making it. And they had two tests, so I'm not going to blame the test on that. So I need to follow up with that person and find out if it turned out to be their their kidneys or their parathyroids. And the other person, it looks like it was their, their kidneys. So out of 250 people, two people low, having the defects, obviously, that is a disclaimer. Don't give me people that are low in 125 D have defects making it because we're not going to fix them with D3. They're going to have to take 125 D. Okay. And so many different directions I need to go with this, but one of them is, and I know this is going to just explode a lot of people's brains, <laughs> but not only it, in your pretty, pretty small sample size, but 250 people, only two people low in D but they actually radically changed 
the level that they've dictated to Western, to North America's medical system, a massively higher, triple higher level of what is healthy D. Not only are we measuring the wrong molecule, the 25D, but we told people in 2010 that a level three times higher is now the bar that we're all shooting for. Yeah, they did. Um, I think Morley had it right when he said the range before was 10 to 30. And they wanted to target 12 and a half. That's what the IOM was going to come out with, 12 and a half as the new goal. But after, as soon as they got that accomplished, looking through all the literature that's been published, uh, Michael Hollick through the Endocrine Society was able to then have that goal raised to 30 plus. And I, I think a lot of people went to 40 plus as well around that time. So it was almost a tripling of it. And notice they didn't raise the goal for the active form at the same time. That's pretty telling. If people were deficient in vitamin D, they would need to be deficient in what it became. Both goals should have gone up. It didn't make sense that only the 25D went up. I want to talk about who was behind that effort to triple what is the healthy level of D that we're all supposed to be going for. And that then doctors got on board and everybody's supposed to take pills till they get to this mythical level that's supposed to be everybody's optimal level. But can you talk about the interplay between, I'm still unclear on the interplay of when you say what it's supposed to become. What is it supposed to become? 25D, 125D. We're testing for 25D, which is wrong. We're not testing for 125D, which would be more useful, but you kind of need both to get a picture of it. And most practitioners aren't even going to know what to do with those two biomarkers, right? Right, right. In so what's it becoming? In this pathway that we're focused on, for the reasons we're focused on, which is immune response and calcium absorption, that is directly related to the 125D. The 125D is the immune response molecule that will make the chemical and biological warriors that fight for you with an illness. It's that form of 125D or 125D is the form of D that works with PTH and ionized calcium, what we call the hypercalcemia control axis. So that molecule is the one in this pathway that's of importance to us, that's relevant. What is your assessment after 20 years of research? And you know, I know that people ask you the same questions every single day. It must be so annoying and you have no profit motive here. You're not selling a course. You're not selling an alternate pill of any kind. Um, and that's why I really value what you've done here because nothing less than just a service to humanity and you're out there, the contrarian of the contrarians. Um, what's your assessment of why they don't test for 125D. I, you know, I just think that they've convinced themselves that all these associations drawn with 25D being low and all the sick people must be the driving cause of it. Some of them, I'm more cynical. If they have a private label vitamin D, they have a different motivation. If they're publishing papers or receiving money somehow by staying in that lane, then it's questionable. I'd like to think there's a lot of people accidentally going along and there's the unintended consequences of that. But I just, I really find it astronomical that there's not a single data set out there published where they've actually looked at both forms. I just, it's, I'm astounded by that. And so all these people who got COVID and, you know, lots of people were out there saying, take vitamin D and wow, the people selling vitamin D really cleaned up, uh, at the beginning of the, of the, uh, I, I have to choose my words carefully. Let's just say COVID at the beginning of COVID, everybody's out there selling D and it did seem to have an effect. That's the steroid effect. Just like if somebody went in and took a drug steroid, they felt better, but that doesn't mean they were better. Is that what it is? Well, that's the feeling better part that we can see in the general people where they say, oh, vitamin D worked for me. But the way that they tried to really drive it home with the pandemic was they look at who's able to increase their 25D. 
through supplementation. And that gets back to where I said, if when you're sick and you're in trouble, you really struggle to increase your 25D through supplementation of D3. It's really hard. In the case of my family member, theirs actually went down when they took the huge dose. And that's considered a bolus dose. And that's known to dysregulate people. But even people that are taking 2,000, 4,000 a day, if they're unable to increase their 25D and maybe their spouse is, they're in different worlds there. And they probably have a comorbid condition that is... For some reason, their body doesn't want more 25D. But if you take that husband and wife who are taking vitamin D, the person that's able, the wife, let's say, is able to increase her 25D during this course, she's probably going to do better because she didn't have a comorbid condition keeping her 25D lower. So that's a, we end up looking at the healthier people and crediting their increase in 25D, what they're doing better. The only reason they can increase their 25D is because their body isn't already down-regulating it to protect them. They're not in trouble yet. They're not using, they're not using that vitamin D that they're increasing to get well because that form that they're checking doesn't do anything. If you were to take the sickest people in the pandemic, that, that they said should have had higher 25D, they would have had way higher 125D than their counterparts that were doing better with higher 25D. It would be the opposite. Those with the lowest 25D have the highest 125D. So those people in the test that had mid-grade 25D, like you come out of the winter with, their 125D was almost a one-to-one ratio for them. You know, they were maybe at 40 and 40. Those those people doing poorly, they were at 15 and 80. You know, that's not a deficiency at all. Where did the 80 come from? Well, it, it got there, didn't it? <laughs> so what would be an optimal ratio or does it really matter? And it's all really very individual. You'd have to know what went into their, their 25D number to begin with. What time of year it is. Have they been supplementing? Then you can interpret it. Is it completely natural? And and keep in mind, somebody that's completely natural would have a different ratio in the middle of winter than they did in the middle of summer. Two reasons. In the middle of winter, they're going to have lower 25D. And we get sick in the winter, they might have higher 125D because they're fighting something. So both can move more, you know, so they can move around in their ratio. But really, the bottom line is you don't want to take it. You want to see what your 2,5-D is. And if you've been taking it, you want to see what your 2,5-D is. But it's best to know what it is naturally. And that'll tell you something. If you're at 11 and maybe your spouse or somebody that you know eats similar food like you is at 40, you're not using it up getting and staying sick. That's not how people need to think about it. That's not how it works. Well, just because this is the part that's going to blow people's minds the very most, let's just talk about it. The vitamin D supplements that people are taking, do I have it correct that it's literally the exact same molecule that is rat poison that steals calcium from the rat's bones and kills them quickly? But with us, what it causes is osteoporosis. Yeah, it's the exact same D3 molecule. It's the one, one of the ones you make in this, in the sun. The sun can make a sulfated water soluble D3, but the D3, the fat soluble D3 in the sun, in a pill, in food, it's molecularly the same. It might be bound up different in food than in a pill, but yes, it is what we kill rodents with. And the way it kills rodents is by increasing the need for calcium in their blood. When we give a rodent vitamin D, it gets into their blood. The ratio of vitamin D in your blood maintains a ratio with calcium. So the more D you put in the blood, the more calcium has to be there. Now, rodents, yeah, we give them an absolutely lethal, acutely lethal dose. They die within a day or so. That's It doesn't kill a person, but it's the exact same biological act. They'll take a bunch of vitamin D. If the calcium isn't there in their gut at that time that they're absorbing the vitamin D, it will have to come from the bone resorption to get enough calcium in the blood to match the vitamin D that you're increasing. 
the body strives to keep keep a perfect ratio of that. So if people are going to take these vitamin D supplements that not just functional medicine doctors are prescribing at this point, I had some Canadian friends tell me that everyone is prescribed vitamin D in Canada because they get so little sun. So what you're saying is you would have to match that with a ton of calcium. And since nobody does that, plus I'm, I personally don't think that taking a synthetic isolated calcium pill accomplishes the same thing that calcium does that's found in whole foods or where it's bioavailable to us. I don't think you can even get that much calcium, nor should you. To right. be counteracting a supplement you don't need anyway. Am I wrong about any of this? No. And when you stop and you think about it, we don't really know any of these people to be low in calcium in the first place. A lot of people will say, and you can read, vitamin D increases your calcium. And it does. It absolutely does. That's how we're able to kill rodents with it. But who among us that's taking vitamin D had low calcium to begin with? No one I know. Yeah, and we don't even test for a lot of nutrients. Like, I think that, you know, there's some knowledge out there that D works with K to make strong bones. And so we take D3 plus K2, and everybody thinks that's the magical combination that gives them strong bones. And yet, here we are, the highest rate of osteoporosis in the world. And here we are. After our mothers were told milk does the body good and our mothers were told that we needed to drink milk and eat dairy products for strong bones, and yet the highest dairy-consuming countries are the United States and the Scandinavian countries, and they are also the highest osteoporosis countries. And I wonder if there's another piece of that, which is that because the northern part of the United States and also the Scandinavian countries... They hand out D to just about everybody. And and you know what? Where, where I started really not trusting D supplementation is when all the regular medical doctors got in the game. Because <laughs> they, yeah. don't, they don't give you anything else that's natural, right. but then they want... <laughs> I think that these vitamin D supplements might be as bad as a lot of pharma. What do you think? I, I agree. And you're right. It's one of the only vitamins they care about. Since when did the mainstream doctors... They won't test your vitamins. And here they're going to get in there and help you with vitamin D, which isn't a vitamin and it's a molecule we actually make, you know, I mean, from scratch, make when you go in the sun. And the other one they'll help you with, they'll step in and help you with vitamin B12 when you're low in B12. But think about that. In order to be low in B12, that means you used a couple of years worth of storage from your liver. So you need to find out how that happened. You don't, you can get a patch right now. Sure. Maybe you want a shot right now while you figure out where did all my B12 go? But medicine will be happy to schedule you a B12 shot at perfect intervals. They'll never look while you're low. So there are medical interventions they're willing to do. They'll do a vitamin D test. They'll do a B12 test. They'll give you a prescription for D. They'll give you a shot for B of B12. And it won't be real. It'll be synthetic. It'll have the methyl group swapped out for a cyanide group. So you get cyanocobalamin, you know, instead of the natural thing. And they won't, there'll be a treatment for life, just like the vitamin D will become. Yeah, I would encourage everybody to take this uh, podcast episode and I'm publishing a substack so that it's in writing uh, in a brief format because this is a topic we could do hours on. And I have listened to Jim for hours go deeper into this and I'm doing a fairly surface level treatment of it. But see what happens if you send this to your practitioner who prescribed you the D and see if you can get an intelligent argument for why they're prescribing the 25D molecule. And please let me know if you get any kind of a response to that because I'm not getting any from my practitioner. Right. And you were talking for a minute there about uh, the winter and vitamin D and stuff. The thing that I really need people to understand is that the active form of vitamin D doesn't have a seasonal variation. The D3 isn't made in the winter 
And so therefore, there isn't this normal throughput to making a certain amount of 2,5-D that probably just goes to waste, to be honest with you. And so winter comes along and people think they're deficient and they're sold the idea that they're deficient. And that couldn't be more dishonest because the active form of vitamin D doesn't drop. It's made as needed from storage if need be. There are papers that show people liberate 3,000, 5,000 IU daily from storage to meet their needs during the winter. So that's not true. And to say that women are deficient, they scare the women into thinking they're deficient. They get afraid for the baby. The reality is, is that When you get pregnant, your active form of vitamin D spikes 40%. There's a reason. The placenta is going to be a go-between on a lot of that. It's very complex. Their bodies are going to be making forms of vitamin D we don't talk about that don't influence calcium because they don't want to get hurt by vitamin D and the body's smart. But we've stepped in and labeled that the only relevant molecule is 25D. And that absolutely is not the case. Yeah, and I I don't want anybody listening to this to say, well, I'm not going to take D anymore because this woman Robin and this guy Jim say that I shouldn't take D. You need to understand this for yourself, but you should get you should get an intelligent response from your doctor and not a defensive response if they're prescribing it to you and if they're selling it to you at the front desk, they are private labeling it and they are making a profit on it. They therefore have a profit motive to get you on it. And they really would love it if you don't tell all their other patients what a scam the whole vitamin D supplementation industry is. So get get an explanation from your doctor. I was, I was watching um, this past week, someone ask a really eminent virologist to explain how they isolate a virus. And it was just spluttering and bluster and and couldn't keep eye contact with the the person interviewing him and then j- he just got offended and condescending and said I'm what do you want me to be a textbook go ask the guy who learned to to isolate viruses and it was if if you get that kind of response from your practitioner then maybe you're empowering yourself maybe you're getting more educated and asking questions of all these synthetic analogs that don't even meet the body's need. It's not just vitamin D, but vitamin D is a really important one if it's stealing calcium from your bones. You kind of need your bones. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You need your teeth. And your teeth are bones. We, we, can't, we can't afford to have calcium leaching out of our teeth and bones because we're taking rat poison. Am I wrong? Oh, you're right on there. And I think you were talking about Robin Weiss at the beginning of that not wanting to isolate something. I know which movie you were talking about. <laughs> I think that is who it was. You would think that I would remember since he has the dude version of my name. All right. So who was it in 2010 who has a profit motive by owning the patent on the test and I believe a patent on the synthetic product who told North America that we all needed three times as much 25D as we did the year before. It just magically tripled. Tell us about this guy and why it's suspect because he has a conflict of interest. We used to think there were conflicts of interest, but... Right. Well, that's Michael Hollick. And they do these round-robin citations of each other's papers where they continually reinforce that... The agreed upon molecule to test is 25D. So every time one of them writes a paper, the other one cite it. And so that's how they're able to prop that up. He, a lot of people know this. He has his own product. It's called Firm D. It's a multi-level marketing scheme and say down in the Philippines, if you look, you know, where, why would they need a vitamin D pill? You know, in the Philippines, there's so much sun there. It just doesn't make any sense. And in North America, he sells a light. That's completely the opposite of a light's good health. They wouldn't need that down there either. But he runs the Vitamin D Society. People don't know that. It's Canada-based. A lot of people say, I've never heard of such a thing. They're confused by the Vitamin D Council, which is run by Dr. Canal. 
but it's the Vitamin D Society and uh, Michael Hollick through all his connections. They're able to just keep propping up that raised goal. You know, we've all just lived through this unbelievable situation since 2020, where we still have something that looks like a majority of our doctors are still clinging to the safe and effective mythology, even though we have reams of evidence. Pfizer forced by a court order to release 1.2 million pages of evidence from the Pfizer clinical trial showing that this product was one of the most unsafe and completely ineffective medical interventions ever. (laughs) And most of our doctors are still not looking at the evidence we are. I hope that this at least helps people realize we need to learn a little bit more that all these pills we're being told to take. And I think people have thousands of dollars worth of supplements and they think they're doing it the natural way because, well, I'm taking a supplement instead of a drug. But Jim, are you seeing it? It's like the lines are getting blurred between supplements and drugs. Yeah. And actually, there's they are blurred for the body too because the reality is, is that anyone that's on a prescription drug needs to understand that that right there in and of itself is a blockade for them. It's going to use a certain CYP enzyme, most likely, just like all your natural molecules do. It's going to compete for that substrate. It's going to be designed to be first on race day in pole position to steal that enzyme. It wouldn't be effective drug if it didn't. And so I I refer, refer to a lot of these molecules that are... Um, they're, they're basically oil or fat-based. We're in the lipid world, you know, with, with all these hormones. We're in the lipid world. We're in the PUFA world. All of these things are, number one, promiscuous. Plus, they have all kinds of pathways where they can recycle themselves. And so we're just focused on something that doesn't need any attention and all these other things are probably getting in the way already. The vitamin D system sees a lot of prescription drugs as a toxin coming in and reacts to that, which if you weren't taking that prescription, you wouldn't have a vitamin D reaction to that. How many people are high in vitamin D, the active form, because of a prescription they're taking in the first place? Yeah, very, very good questions. You have to exercise a little bit of critical thinking skills here, you guys, because we've just watched that our our most educated, our medical doctors aren't necessarily doing it. Of course, plenty of doctors have stopped recommending the COVID vaccine. They've seen the damage. They, it gets to the point where they can't ignore it anymore. But to me, that's like the perfect weeder. Like if you're still working with a doctor who's still pushing the COVID job, what else are they wrong about? What else are they dangerously wrong about? And I I get called dangerous all the time, but I don't have a medical license anyone can take. Um, I get called dangerous for my blog post recently on 10 reasons why I don't get a pap smear. You guys can go read about that on Substack. Um, I don't get mastectomies. You can go read about why I don't do that. I'm not telling you guys what to do. I'm telling you, let's learn a little bit more about it. Learn what other options you have besides mashing your breasts flat and radiating it every them every three years to potentially miss any cancer anyway. Plus you develop cancers several times during your lifetime that would be detectable by mammography and other types of scans. But um, side note, I, I had a tooth pulled last week and they came in and showed me the menu of what I was going to be paying for this. And I saw a $550 pathology test on the tooth. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want that. I don't need you to send my tooth into a pathology lab so that you can, you know, when I come back in here in two weeks to make sure the stitch fell out, that you tell me that there was cancer in it, because I'm not going to do the treatment if you tell me that I have cancer. Um, Because I don't think that this little bit of tissue under a microscope tells me I have cancer. But if there were a hundred people, I would be the only one in a hundred that would say, no, I don't have cancer. Just because your pathology report that you you made me pay $550 for. So I'm in the surgery. The surgeon extracts my tooth. I have stuff in my mouth, like a block in my mouth. And I heard him say to his staff, 
Yeah, I know that she doesn't want the pathology report, but send it in anyway and have the pathology report just, uh, or the pathology clinic just bill her direct. So I'm going to get, I'm going to get a bill from the pathology clinic direct and it probably won't have his markup in it. But um, I, I honestly, if I went to see an oncologist, those words, you have cancer, will put people into such PTSD and such a tailspin because of a, a few cells that they put under a microscope. I mean, there's probably 10 places that you could scrape in my body right now and see mutated cells. And I, no, I don't have cancer. That doesn't mean that I have cancer. But what's sad is out of a hundred people, probably a hundred of them would believe it. Right. Based on those few cells. Yeah. Under the, and, 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 and then go sign up. And a week later, they're in a, in a lazy boy with a, an IV drip in their arm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what we've done a real flyby. I know that you're probably so used to going deeper and deeper and deeper, but I just find that my audience wants, they want enough information. My audience is educated, um, sophisticated. It's not their first rodeo of learning, but some of the things that they're being taught are not exactly true. What did we miss that you think is really important? I think I just would reiterate the fact that we're focused on 25D and we didn't mention it, but I found 15 different 25D molecules and they measure three of them, you know, at best. So they're not really even measuring that whole gambit of 25D. There are certain ones you make when you're sick that they aren't checking that are more common in sick people. So the test is just so-so. But this is the pathway we found and we got focused on. It's not the only one. It's not the most important one by any stretch of the imagination. I would view this pathway as a pathway for when you're already in trouble, really. This is like a repair pathway, not a maintenance pathway. If you eat reasonable food, you go get reasonable sun, you're going to make all those other molecules in the other pathways that are the maintenance pathways that keep you from needing the repair pathway. You know, and just to touch on this, I I have so many, a lot of these biohackers are friends of mine. I've been to many conferences with them. I can text 10 of them right now. And they, these guys spend full time in a very regimented schedule of all these things that they do. And they think that you have to go out and get exactly 15 minutes of sun at a specific time of day. And you have to be as naked as possible. And I'm not trying to make fun of somebody who's trying to get sunshine. Because you just said, it's hard to get from food. There's very few foods that contain vitamin D. It's probably not your most absorbable form. You need it from the sunshine. But I have the same 25D. If we're still going to care about what the 25D test says, I still ha- I have the same 25D results after two and a half years of living in Florida. And I've just had my third Florida test at the same vitamin D as I did, doing it every March in in Utah. and just. Honestly, I just like to let people stress a little bit less. Here's what I do. Nothing. Okay, I go outside. I get inside. I do not lie in the sun. I do not try to be as naked as possible. I get the sun that I get going from my house to the golf cart and from the golf cart to the beach and back. And that's about what my sun skin can handle without getting sunburned. And I don't worry about it. And apparently I don't have a vitamin D problem and you probably don't either. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think you get in trouble when you start really thinking about all of it too deep. You know, it's, it's rare in foods. You get darker to limit its production. It's probably not a problem, but unfortunately they've sold it through associations as the cause of almost all human illness today. You got to stop and think how ludicrous that is. Uh, Sweating from the forehead is a symptom of low vitamin D. Through association, vitamin D doesn't have anything to do with your forehead sweating or stopping it from sweating. Just like, I mean, it's just so ludicrous that they've got everybody thinking it's the end-all be-all and it's not. It's It has a role. There's tons of different molecules. We're not even talking about the important ones. Yeah, I think this has been useful for like bringing the stress level down, I think, because there's things we should be worried about. Like we should be worried about how we're consuming 
animal products, especially processed animal products, uh, that we're eating dairy products, which are really inflammatory. We're not eating enough plants. We're not getting a nutrient-dense diet. I just wish that I could see people focusing on these things that move the needle. You know, I was sick half my life ago. I had 21 diagnosed diseases. I was on five prescription drugs. I was overweight. And the healthy half of my life is when I said no to the pills and just ate healthy whole foods. And I think people think I'm an absolute purist about food and I'm not. I am a purist about getting a quart a day of green smoothie. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a couple things. One of them is our nine-day green smoothie challenge. We're actually not starting one right now, but you guys should be in that group so that when we do them, it's such a joyous occasion. Like it's, we have fun. People share their pictures. <laughs> There's no charge for it. It's just a challenge to drink a quart a day of, of green smoothie, which is absolutely instrumental in how I got my health back. You know, 27 years ago when I was so very sick, I was so sick for four years. And that's an easy single thing that you can target. Everybody wants the single thing they do to be taking a pill. And we sort of deconstructed one of the pills that just about everybody is taking. And they think it's their, it's their lifeline to good health. And if they see a number increase, even though they feel the exact same, they still have all their same health problems. They think, but my vitamin D level came up. Well, now you know a lot more about that. I'm going to put a link down below. You guys should at least join our green smoothie nine day challenge. We do it twice a year. If you're in the group, then you'll know when we kick it off. But then I'm also going to put a link to Jim's Facebook group. And I don't, I, I think you must have the patience of a saint because I see people asking you the same question. And it's like Groundhog Day for you, same questions over and over and over again. But tell us the name of your Facebook group. It's Seiko Steroid Hormone D. So that's the real name of vitamin D. It's not a steroid, it's a Seiko steroid. Just has one carbon ring, not closed. Yeah, it's that must be like the unsexiest Facebook group name that I've ever heard. But it's you're what you're doing is you're taking a run at trying to deconstruct the the first fraud of many. <laughs> right. That is not even a vitamin. It's just in some nomenclature that they applied to it so that people understand it because people know I need vitamins, I need minerals. So slap the word vitamin on it, I guess. Right. Right. So Secosteroid Hormone D is Jim's Facebook group. And you guys will learn a lot. And there are resources there if you want to go deeper on this. Uh, I will also put, if you're listening on the podcast, I will put a link down below to my Substack on this. And you need to get a link to this and get it in the hands of your friends. So Jim Stevenson, I just really appreciate everything that you do for people because it, it must get old, but we haven't even scratched the surface of the people right. who need to learn this. Yeah, we should do it again sometime. Okay. Thank you so much, Jim. Thanks, everyone. I'll see you next time. Bye now. Bye.